Welcome back to the Idiom Podcast. My name is Connor O'Brien. If you're new here, this is a show where we interview artists, producers, and industry experts, really anyone who we feel can help you grow as a producer. In this episode, I have a chat with Matt and Eli from the duo Two Friends. They've got original releases on Spinnin', Armada, and Dimmac, as well as over 27 number one tracks on Hype Machine. They're also known for their remixes to tracks like Trap Queen and Mr. Brightside, which have gained tens of millions of streams on SoundCloud. Now in this episode, we dive deep into how Matt and Eli grew their production skills and their career while they worked remotely in college. They had big dreams for this project from the very start, so it was great hearing how they hustled for themselves, treating this artist project as if it was their own startup. Naturally, we talk a lot about the workflow of being in a duo, diving into how they split up the work to make sure they're being as efficient as possible. We also talk about the logistics of building the right team around your project and why they're glad they remained independent for as long as they did. On the production side of things, we talk about how they stay productive in the studio, making sure they focus on the big picture instead of getting lost in the details. They also talk about how they stay excited and motivated to finish songs that they've been working on for a while, which is an issue nearly all producers run into. On the same note, they also talk about what they do to take a track from 90% all the way to 100. The two friends just announced a massive North American tour with Matoma that kicks off early next year. I'll leave a link to those tour dates in the description, so definitely give that a look if you want to catch them live. One last note, we had some issues recording this episode due to some shoddy hotel Wi-Fi. The first half of the episode is clean, but the second half is a few cuts and glitches. It's good for the most part, but just want to let you know that ahead of time so that you don't think your speakers or headphones are busted. With that, let's get to the episode. Here's the EDM podcast with two friends. Welcome back to the EDM Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Matt and Eli of Two Friends. Guys, how are you doing today? Doing real good. We are here in Atlantic City in a hotel room, nice and cozy. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Of course. So to start, I'd love to learn a bit more about your background with music. Talk about what you were doing before the Two Friends Project came about, and then how you ended up coming together for it. Yeah. So Matt and I both grew up in Los Angeles, and we went to middle school and high school together, and we're pretty much best friends right away in seventh grade. Um, And so all throughout high school and all throughout middle school and high school, um, you know, just doing normal friend stuff. Um, And we kind of, we both had an interest in music and kind of explored it in different ways. Matt was playing guitar and he was part of the the concert singer choir thing. Um, I was, I played clarinet in the middle school band and um, then was also starting to get into a little bit of like making mashups and learning a little bit of DJing. And then it was around senior year of high school where it was second semester of senior year of high school. So we both had already got into to colleges. So it was kind of more relaxed and we knew that we weren't going to be playing competitive sports or anything like that in college. So we kind of just had a little more free time to, to kind of try some new stuff and, you know, I think we were in class together at one of our houses and we obviously both knew that that we had interest in music and kind of had different but but i think complementary skills um and so we kind of just on a whim we're like you know should we should we mess around with this and we went on google and we literally googled like what what software program should we download if we want to make music and one of the first yeah forum responses was about pro tools and so we're like all right sounds good to us and yeah we, which is definitely we're odd ones out <coughs> yeah we're actually we're still session. we're still eight years later we're still all because on pro of tools. that one google search yeah. still <laughs> yeah yep. yeah but yeah. i mean 
we're like trying to switch to Ableton slowly. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's hard once you're once you're used to. Uh, yeah, that's kind of when, whenever people like when people ask and, we, and then we say Pro Tools are like, oh, do I need to get that? And our answer is kind of like, wow. like, you know, there's yeah. definitely some issues. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, whichever one, you, maybe that's not always true. I but, definitely never recommend Pro Tools for produ- producers. Yeah. But I was just going to say, you know, I, maybe not 100% of the time, but definitely the majority of the time. The, the program that you kind of start out with and really dive into, like, that's probably just what you're going to feel most comfortable with. And, a lot, you know, most of them can kind of do the same things maybe with a little bit of a different yeah. uh, twist. Know, yeah. So, so it, there's really no right or wrong answer, but, um, but yeah, so this was at the end of high school. Um, at that time we actually still didn't really know exactly what we were hoping to do. We were kind of experimenting with a, with a couple things. We were starting to do a couple remixes, but also making some hip hop beats and we would, we would send them out and like mass email blasts with everyone on BC <laughs> saying like, Hey man, like, made this beat just for you yeah. um like the love if you know love if you could <laughs> rap over we it were like these were like pretty rudimental like hip-hop beats so i think it was just because like first of all dance music was emerging um but it hadn't like really arrived but also like as like a three month into it producer it was a lot easier to just make like quick little beats than like figure out all the intric like intricacies of dance music and yeah. stuff but then I think then I think we kind of quickly realized that that first summer that the hip hop stuff. I mean, it was fun, but it was just pretty hard to kind of make moves and grow. You kind of needed to get a lucky break where like a big rapper happens yeah. to like your beat, yeah, um, or or stay in the grind in that lane for a yeah. long time. So then I think what we saw was it was just an exciting time. This is so this is back in 2011, just to give some context. So that was a, that was a pretty exciting time for for dance music where. It was still pretty new in the U.S., um, but definitely, you know, picking up a lot of steam. And that was around the time where some of the European guys were now kind of pop. We're on like pop radio with like, you know, Swedish House Mafia and David Guetta and Avicii were mm-hmm. were kind of blowing up. So we quickly realized like we just can kind of control our own destiny a lot better doing the the EDM route. Yeah, I guess. it's like your song. Right. Rather than produce a beat and then give it away and then, you know, hopefully you get credited in the description or whatever but you know it's not really your song anymore so we're like all right what if we just you know make our own songs and you know we could find singers and we we also were very interested in songwriting so you know we could write our own stuff find singers write with singers it was like that all was like a slow growing pains process where you know like at first we honestly i wasn't even like i didn't really know too much about dance music like i liked some things but honestly, the decision to make it was almost because it was so much easier to uh, like have your own song and be in control, yeah. like what Eli was saying. And, and then, and then beyond that, you know, have your own brand, have your own shows. Like you know, there's not many hip hop producers that that play shows. Yeah, um, there's some, but um, so I think it was kind of the whole excitement. It was almost like entrepreneurial, of like exactly, all right, like yeah, we are we're two friends now. Like we we let's do it all. Yeah, we had and, like the whole concept before we knew how to make music. <laughs> We yeah. were two friends. We like we literally got the name. I think it was in some class in senior year together. We were like basically we were like going through names, like literally a notebook just of basically Avicii yeah, knockoff we were, names. We were trying. We thought it would be cool to like invent a word that's not a real word, but, but it sounds like 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 Avicii. So we were coming up with like you know. But it, like, the thing is, it's so corny until it's a thing. It's right. like like we were thinking like. 
Machuchi, or I don't even know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then we're just like, all these feel so weird. So then we, we landed on, at that point, it was the two friends. It's interesting that you had such a big picture and dream for this project immediately from the start, even before you really dove that deep into production. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think part of that also was just our own experiences of, of going to a couple of music festivals. Like we had, um, we, since we grew up in LA, Coachella's close by. So we, we went to Coachella a bunch of times in high school. And then I just, I, it was one of those things where like, because it was so new to the U.S. at the time, I mean, it, like, don't get me wrong, obviously, you know, it has the roots and it's been around for a long time, but it, it was so new to like kind of the, the mainstream. Um, yeah. So like it was, we would go to Coachella and you see like, let's just say this actually wasn't Coachella. This was another one, but I remember this was, I saw Porter Robinson in Nashville and it was like, he was 18 years old and we were 17 years old. And it was, and yeah. I texted Matt. I'm like, like, cause I had no idea. Like, yeah. I remember these texts. I woke yeah. up. He was, they were like the most drunk text texts you've ever received. But, but they were good. But was, they were coherent enough where I got the idea. Where it was like, dude, like we could do this. Like, they, you know, these aren't, you know, this is not like a, it's not like where it's a pop star manufactured by the music industry. Like with the whole, like, it's yeah. like, yo, this dude is 17 and like, or 18 and, you know, crushing it. Like, let's, let's go for it. Yeah. And looking back, like, I think we're very glad and lucky that we kind of started when we did because back then like it was kind of the wild wild west with like soundcloud was thriving and there there wasn't like you know i guess it was nice that we kind of didn't have too much pressure both on both in terms of we were going to college so we weren't necessarily like needed to hustle to you know take the the gig just to to get some cash like we kind of could could be a little more patient and a little more long-term focused because of school and they also not as much pressure because like, you know, we didn't really have a fan base. So like we yeah. just try something, upload I, it to SoundCloud. No, I totally remember having like, we're I, like, we were so uh, chasing the carrot in terms of like the horse. Like, is that we, a thing? Is that a yeah, chasing I don't know. The carrot I don't know how to say it, but everyone knows the image. <laughs> everyone knows that image. Like, like I have a vivid memory of working on a remix. First of all, we were very new producers. Like there's no way it was going to be great or anything, but like, we were like going into this like dubstep route. And then Eli was just like, you know what? I don't think we should make dubstep. And I'm like, okay. So then we did it. <laughs> and <laughs> then, it was yeah. like, it was just like, uh, it was that, like, that's how those decisions were made. It was just like, you know, it wasn't like in my heart is this, it's just kind of naturally, like, I think your natural tendencies over time came yeah. out. And then same thing with like, we could finish a remix and just like, you know, we didn't have management. We didn't have, a team so it's just like all right let's upload this the same day we finished it and make like one stupid facebook post about right. it and but with that said i think we've actually always been pretty uh analytical and planning which is probably sometimes to our fault like i don't think we ever made something and uploaded did we not okay no. sorry bad example <laughs> like i feel like we would always <laughs> even when we had no fans at all like we would still be like all right what's the best release plan here in this moment like what can we do and then i think over time things become you know like no one cares until like everyone cares so you know it's a very uphill battle and then it's like suddenly it's like less of an uphill battle but the uphill battle is like what shapes you and like but and i think it's, i think you. it's fun it's that's yeah. when you know it's when you're again it goes back to the like entrepreneurial thing and just like, i agree you control your own destiny and i think it was also super important for us like you know now we now we have a great team around us with management and agent and you know all sorts of, of people helping helping the the machine but i think i think it was good that for the first couple of years you know 
learning how to do all the factors of it, of, it's you know, so the music and the branding and the release plan and yeah. the if you don't know promotion. How to, if you don't know how to manage yourself, then you'll never be satisfied with a manager because because you'll never know. Well, not satisfied. You might be blissfully satisfied, but ignorant. But like, if you don't know how to manage yourself, you don't know how to hold people accountable. You know, it's important to know what a good job actually looks like. Um, and then, you know, as you don't have a manager, then do whatever you, uh, the whole, I think process looks different. For example, the entrepreneurial, how Eli was describing it, like, you know, it feels like, it feels like you're starting a company. Well, now your responsibilities change. So it's like, it's still entrepreneurial, but you have to like almost change your priorities. If, if you trust someone else is doing things you used to do. So I think that's, that's the thing that changes over your career. And it's just about like adapting to those. So given the fact that you always treated this as both a career and a business, even from the very start, while you were going to school, presumably for something else, was the goal always to turn this into your full-time career? I think very soon into school, like I have a vivid memory. You have a lot of vivid memories. I really do. (laughs) This one I've told you about, but sophomore year. So this is what, 2013 or 14? Yeah. 2013. 2013, yeah. It was in the summer though. And, or it might've been like a fall break type thing. And I just remember being like wide awake at 3 a.m. Just being like, okay, I don't know what I watched or did that day, but I just remember like, okay, I realize now I really need to work every single day on music for mm-hmm. the, for us to have a chance to do this full time when we graduate. I was like every single day and like good things will happen if I do and nothing will happen if I don't. So it's like, I just have that vivid, like breaking point or like a tipping point of like, all right, mm-hmm. this is what needs to happen. And it was like exciting, but also like a, a coming to a clarity moment. You were working remotely while you were in college, right? Yes. Definitely. Yeah. So kind of talk about what that process was. Did you both end up graduating? Yeah. So, so I went to Vanderbilt in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Matt was at Stanford okay. up in Northern California. And um, yeah, I mean, we were, you know, obviously it was super tough to, to balance academics and sleep and friends and music, but you know, we had to make sacrifices and had to, you know, learn how to handle that balance. But um, yeah, we were pretty much, you know, obviously communicating every single day and FaceTiming or Skype, if I don't know, FaceTime existed yet and emailing (laughs) stuff back and forth and kind of just, you know, some, some days it might just be a quick, quick video chat to kind of like each give ourselves a to-do list and then let's let's check back. Don't you remember our our janky and janky setup? Yes. So, okay. (laughs) I think this is a lesson in, in learning. I think it comes with time, but learning how to be efficient. But before we learned how to be efficient, we would basically try to plan a time where we'd like both be at our laptops. And I think I would, we would go on Skype and then I would have an aux cord going from my audio interface into my laptop headphone uh, input. Then I would switch the inputs. So Skype was getting the audio from my laptop. So it was going through my interface back into my laptop so Eli could hear and then we were producing together but it was obviously there's so many glitches right, like you couldn't talk yeah, so I couldn't you talk had to text I'd have to text Eli. <laughs> and it was like it was so glitchy like he couldn't even hear what was going on my computer would like fail because there's too much going yeah. on so that yeah. 
that was like that was the uh, ideal when we're like summer before freshman you're like okay we figured out how to do it but then once you realize it you're so much more efficient working on things alone and then and then sending them back and forth and then obviously now we're back in LA this is you know four years after that um and well now it's eight years after that but it's really nice being yes, actually in not, person not after yeah. um, it. but then i think there's for any duo or trio or whatever i think it's very important to be able to like handle your business on your own you know like get mm. su- work on your own because then you know sometimes it's great to be in the same room but then sometimes you can get cool ideas on your own and have a set of ears you really trust who haven't already been blasted with this loop a thousand times and actually yeah. have some perspective on it um, which is super helpful. Like, well, I mean, yeah, no, that's true. Like, even still, there are sometimes when you tell me, like, you know, t- don't listen right, to literally, it. Or, don't, I, or I'll literally be like, yo, I'm going to work on this part. Don't even come over. You work on that. Yeah. Thing. And then, like, you know, don't even listen over the weekend on Monday morning. Let's listen we'll get, fresh, get a notepad, yes. and like, let's really yeah. get some perspective. It's a, That's another thing, almost like the whole perspective. And I don't think anyone has really figured that out. You mm-hmm. know, like, when does something become boring? Well, it probably is when you listen to it too much and you're also yeah. like, you're not, you, the dopamine doesn't keep hitting you if you keep listening to it. So that, it's hard. Like we've had, sometimes I literally try to even write it down and timestamp it of like what day of the, what day of the month it is. And I'll, I'll say like, you know, we're working on a song and one of us will be super excited. And, you know, let's say Matt, we're in the studio. Matt's like, oh, Eli, like, I yeah. love this. This is going to be good. I will write down like, all right, May 14th at 3 p.m., you promise me that we love this song. So then, yeah. like, two months later when now we're just, like, you know, dealing with such the nitty-gritty details and, like, it's it's hard to still right. feel it's that. that last three So then we just we try to be yeah. like, you know what? I Like, I think it's people are still going to like it when they get the fresh listen. Like, even though for us yeah. now it's kind of past it, you know? So hard to tell. Um, like, yeah. Anything else that you feel like helps you deal with that? Because I think, you know, most of the producers listening to this are going to be solo. Anything that helps you deal with that guillotine when you've just listened to it too much and you lose all that confidence? A million things. Yeah. A million things. All right. We, I have like, I think we both, Eli and I both have like a mental checklist of okay. things of like best practices. Not even close that we've mastered this at all, but just some things we've picked up on are one, don't listen too loud because ever. Because then, first of all, it's fake. It's fake happiness. You don't actually know if it sounds great, because um, most things are going to sound great. And then, when you listen to it quietly, it'll never sound great. So just like have a nice, appropriate. Right, like volume. if it if it if it excites you at a quiet volume, I mean, it could only get better. Basically. Exactly, <laughs> it can only get better once it's released. Then you can bump it. <laughs> um, uh, another thing is, if you're like, for example, if you send yourself a bounce. Don't listen to it unless you're unless you're gonna write notes mm. because if you're just listening to it to like for fun, then when it is time to write notes or like you know have your first impressions, they won't be there. You know you already know exact you already know exactly how the song goes. If you play me the middle by Zed, like I already know how it goes. So like I'm not gonna be able to. Uh, not that there would be notes to give. <laughs> like I already know every single part, so it's not like a the pre-chorus you wrote the day before that you forgot hits you and you're like ooh first impression yeah. again this is what i like this is what i don't you know what i mean you got to you got to take those moments where you don't have the song 
um, known by heart and like use them. You are basically not yourself. You are an A&R outside and it's such a precious moment that you need to use. Yeah. So a couple, know? so a couple more I thought of were like kind of similar to that. Like sometimes when, if we're writing a song with a, with a singer, we sometimes purposely don't want to record it yet. Like if we're writing a part, we we're basically sometimes, you know, scared almost that like, if you write it, that day and then one hour later you're recording we'll record it. the whole demo what well, no no you, but i'm saying yeah you could record the demo of course to hear what it sounds but like not the, but before the yeah before you get to the final vocal because like once you do the final vocals then that's yeah, it you're like, almost you saying know. like in terms of the if once you do doubles at, right then it's like super very nice hard editing. to go back yeah. and jump. so what what we've tried to do you know we don't always get the luxury of doing this but what's nice is okay write the song do a do a quick demo just so you know where it's at but then purposely wait a few more days or whatever it is Week, two and weeks. then just because then listen back and be you know give yourself a chance to be like you know what actually let's not rush into this like you know that one lyric isn't feeling good or yeah. one melody let's actually try this and then make you know you let, even just one night of sleep on it and then wake yeah, up in the morning even, honestly like a week of sleep on it then you'll then you'll really know yeah. and don't listen to it in the middle yeah. of that yeah. you know switch work on something else um and then the, another one that's it might be what you're saying i don't know but eli kind of what you just said sometimes i feel like the easiest songs for us to finish are when the demo vocal that we wrote or like i recorded or something it's like obviously like let's say the, the autotune catches it in a weird way that's like super ugly yeah. sometimes sometimes that is mentally nice because it is so obvious to your brain this is not the final vocal versus if you're like 90% there it's really hard to figure out what that 10% yeah. is and what when you get that 10% difference how much better the song makes it but if your vocal is just literally like as bare as it gets you know the vocal can be better it's it's like a mental game you have to play with yourself yeah and then the last one i think is just on a more general level is trying to switch up what we're working on on a you know on a daily basis like that obviously sometimes gets hard with schedules and deadlines and things right. but when you can you know if if let's in an ideal world if we knew what the next five singles coming out are then that gives you the luxury of like all right you know let's have a creative day work on this okay cool you know don't you know got a little stuck no problem let's jump to this project now right. when we jump back now we have but some fresh ideas based off what you're saying is i think and we're getting more into this now is like try to and it, obviously it's easier said than done but try to when you're starting a studio day work on big picture thing like work do work on something that needs big moves right um unless you already have like a very specific list to like hit little notes and stuff like work on big moves because if you spend your day like your start of your day you take a listen and there's like you know like 10 vague little notes that are like hard to know when you actually properly address them then you will be working on those 10 little notes that most people will never hear for like four right. Well, hours. yeah, that we, we literally kind of thought of like a new test to do. And it's more of like a theoretical test oh, than about actually yeah. doing it. But it's like, okay. It's if called you, the Ben test. It's called the Ben test. My roommate's name is Ben. Great guy. Just probably not the most uh, best vocabulary when it comes to music production, which is perfectly acceptable. Why yeah. would he? But so basically the goal is, you know, unless, okay, this, the exception is if you have a deadline and this is literally like the finishing steps of the song and then it's done, you need to like, act, obviously you need to finish yeah, the song. That's going to be painful but, always. But in the, you know, before you get to that finish line, you want to make sure if you spend a full day in the studio, like make sure that someone like Ben could tell the difference from the beginning of the day to the end of the day. 
not just the sound engineer that can hear like the yeah. tiniest little changes. You want to show your friend who doesn't know a ton and if they could say like, oh yeah, like cool, this is better now. And the reason why versus is- versus like it was just it's almost like just discouraging if you spend so you know you think you're doing important things and then they're like wait i don't get it It, it's the same song and you're like oh like we are so guilty of that like obviously every producer gets extremely um specific about notes and like notes they write and notes from friends blah 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 but and and those are so important to address but then sometimes like you you find your you get yourself into mental traps of like what version is better, the June 22nd or June 22nd B? It's like, what are the differences? Uh, oh, the vocal was compressed two extra dBs. Like all these like little mm-hmm. things that like are definitely important, but not important at all compared to that to the bulk of the song. Like if your arrangement and melodies suck, nobody's gonna care that your snare is yeah, just a bit too. No bright. one cares. Exactly. 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 How many, yeah. How many times have you heard someone say like, "Yeah, this I, I love this song. Like the song sucks, but oh my god, those <laughs> snare. Like, yeah, uh, it's dude. pretty rare. I mean, and with that said, like I think we're constantly in that battle of how to get a song from you know from like eighty percent to a hundred. I think that is that is the process where you start to yeah. hate a song. Right. The, um, the one, the process from zero to, to 60 or zero to 70 is fun. Yeah. That's when it's like, all right, let's get, you know, let's, let's get the meat down. And then, yeah, that's just, that's when kind of the battle starts of like, all right, this is a great demo. How do we, how do you get it further than that? And there are definitely things like not necessarily things we do, but I know some people like will bounce things to stems and like go in a new file and sometimes that can help. Um, it's hard that, you know, I don't have an answer. We're, We're still working on that. So kind of moving back to your growth as a duo, was there ever a point where you thought, Hey, this is something that we could actually turn into a career. Obviously there was always that hope that it could, but was ever a moment where you thought this could be something you could take seriously? So, yeah, I don't think it was necessarily one specific thing. Um, it was kind of more a culmination of a lot of things happening around the same time, which was around second semester of our junior year of college. And that's when some of our remixes online were starting to do a little better. And we got some people reaching out, wanting to manage us, some people reaching out, wanting to book us for events, got one of our remixes on um, satellite radio, which was very exciting. And so, you know, none of those things on their own were like life changing, but I think it was seeing that, you know, in the span of a couple of weeks or a month, like there was a lot of small, exciting things. It, you know, it didn't make us the most confident ever, but I think it was like, all right, you know what, at the very, very, very least let's, you know, we're, we're close to graduating and we have one more year. Let's, let's finish up college. Cause you know, in the long run, we're, we're going to be happy. We did let's finish up our last year and then we have to go for it. And what that meant, well, you know, we didn't really know it was, you know, probably give it at the least two years, and then reevaluate, and yeah. So we're, a lot. Like, it, yeah, it was kind of just like it, it was like we're going to regret this for the rest of our yeah. lives if we don't right. even give it a shot. And you know what? Worst, worst case, two years go by and we make zero dollars and there's no hope for the future. Then at least hopefully it was fun and we have our college degrees now and you know Whatever. it's fine. But you know, and 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 the thing is, and I, I think this is important for a lot of young producers to know is like, so when we did graduate that first year, year and a half, we literally made zero dollars. Um, you know, we're very fortunate that our parents were supportive and we could stay at home and, you know, not 
not really need to, again, really need to like hustle just to, you know, take a bad gig just to pay rent. We had the luxury of, you know, still kind of trying to be a little patient. And then luckily, I think that was, you know, it kind of worked where we were able to really set up our foundation. And then I would say, you know, about a year and a half after graduation, that's when the Mm -hmm. bookings really started coming through and the music stuff really started growing. And then it was like, all right, we kind of crossed that threshold of like, now we can support ourselves and this is real. Yeah. But I also think going back to the original question, like, was there one moment? Like, no. And I think a lot of artists, probably most artists, there isn't a moment, you know, it's not like, you know, obviously some guys have that hit that just pops, but a lot of times you've been working before that for a long time. Um, yeah, there was, there's a quote I like, I, where it's like, like, what I'm going to butcher it, but it's something about like overnight success takes years or something where like, years or whatever, yeah, yeah, where it's like you build your team, you build the foundation, you build your work ethic. And then that puts you in a position where you're right. going to catch a lucky break sooner or later. And you're in a position where you could really capitalize on it rather than, you know, it does happen to some people where they get it and maybe they have a song blow up on the radio, but they just, they don't have that organic kind of fan base and brand. And then, you know, they can't really sell tickets or, but th- honestly, with all that said, I don't even think we had that moment. You know, I feel like it's, it's been a ton of like smaller victories that stacked upon each other is where like, you know, builds the, builds the, uh, skyscraper. Yeah. You I mean, know, it's, it's a slow, like, slow, slow grind. Yeah. And you know, what you kind of can portray on social media or whatever, like sometimes people don't always know the, how the sausage gets made. But I think, yeah, it's important to know that like most of your favorite producers are probably Mm -hmm. grinding for a long time and getting frustrated and thinking, and we had the same thing where we're like, we would, you know, you get jealous of other producers and you email your, your agent of like, you know, Hey, this guy's playing X, Y, and Z places. Why aren't we? And then he's just like, guys, like you can't yet, you know, you're not at that level. And then it's, you know, sometimes it's nice to, to kind of, you know, realize like, all right, yeah, we got to, we got to work for this. Get a little like, humble. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like it was a calculated decision that you gave yourselves two years after graduating school to turn this into, you know, a bigger project. Do you feel like it was helpful to have a backup plan that enabled you to be like, Hey, if this doesn't work out, I've got something else I can go to. I think it's important to as much as possible, not put so much pressure on yourself. Mm -hmm. So like, obviously you want to work hard, but you don't want to like, I, I don't think having money pressure is a good thing ever. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I, you know, it'll force you to like in college is it's a great time to work because most people are not working full time in college. So, you know, you have some time, um, or at least you have sacrifices, options to, you know, decisions to make. I know a couple of people who have mentioned they, you know, whether just through DMs or whatever, they're like, they say like, yeah, like, you know, I'm quitting my job tomorrow and I'm going to start to learn music. And it's like, you know, yes, that's, we always love to hear that people are passionate about it, but that puts a lot of pressure of like, you lose your steady income. And now the risk is kind of what, what we were saying about like, you know, you might take a a gig or opportunity that is not smart in the long term and potentially very damaging. Mm-hmm. But you know, if they offer a thousand bucks, like, and right. you don't I mean, have a job anymore, like, yeah, that's biggest, appealing. The biggest example. And I think a lot of people 
relate to this is like, would you rather be producing for other people or would you rather be producing for your project? Yeah. Every time you're producing for other people, it's pretty much guaranteed it's not helping your project. So, you know, like that's time spent away. So I think, you know, as much as you can, like that's why college is a great time to get into it. I mean, high school even now. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I think as much as you can have a sense of security, it's good because music's supposed to be fun and you don't want it to be, you want it to be as, as little stress as possible so you can make the best music you can make. How important do you feel like it was for you? And this is a pretty obvious question, but I just want to hear your response on it. How important was it for you to have each other while you were growing as producers? Obviously, you were in a duo together, so you wanted to work together. But how important was it just to have somebody else to talk about music with, to grow as a producer and to learn from? Uh, extremely, I would say. <laughs> I mean, I don't even understand how solo DJs do it. They must be extremely close with other producers yeah. and or managers or whatever because the amount of times we talk together during the day about music is like scary you know <laughs> it's like it's basically otherwise it's just you're a head case like i would be such a head case yeah so i think it's very important to lean on other people yeah no we're not saying you need to be in a duo no, we're saying no, if you i mean if you're nice not then then yeah it's super important early on too to like build a build a network of, of people you trust and people you can you know mutually give feedback on stuff to and then what we've and we've seen this where like not only is that going to be helpful for you know practical feedback but that network everyone on their own is going to grow a little yeah and next thing you know someone might be, be like you know have a cool opportunity and that now you're friends with them and they can help you know you get part of that or yeah you're friends with like a, a music or blogger right. and then they get promoted and now they work at you know a major publication and that you've always you've had like a genuine relationship with them rather than like begging them to to write about you yeah um yeah so that can't All your peers are are basically how i put it is that's your like uh what's the best that's like your you know graduating class mm -hmm. you know so like you all move up the ranks. Yeah, you want to root for each other. Yeah, you root for each other. But then like, it's funny because you look back, like if we look back like five or six years, like obviously some people stop music or whatever, but then a lot of people stay through and like a lot of the people, not even not even our best friends, but like a lot of people that were like starting at the same time of us of like now we've all grown to a new level and it's funny just seeing, you know, everyone's yeah. been on their grind. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the other side of being a duo is just, on a more practical level is like, we try to obviously there's a ton of decisions and big picture stuff and idea, initial idea stuff that super important that both of us are involved. But then we try to basically act, you know, try to get double the work done. So yeah. if, if we, you know, if we spend the first hour of the day doing the big picture stuff and real thinking of the game plan for the day and deciding, okay, we need to do this here and this there. Okay. Boom. You, Matt, you have your list. I have my list. Let's get double the work done today. We try to help each other with um, our lists to make each other stay sane. Yeah, really. and so I think, you know, rather than than both of us always just like sitting there, and one of the, one of us naturally would like not really be doing much. Mm -hmm. You know, let, let, you know, if you're doing the, the most mundane technical thing, it's like right. How much? What, you know, you don't. I have think I think songwriting is the one exception of that where 
multiple people, like not 10, but like, you know, two, three people can be in a room and it's not, it's not a waste of someone's right, time. Right. No, um, you know, I, I think it's just, and honestly, sometimes what I've seen is working, um, in, in, you know, solitary confinement, like instead of leaning on someone, you just make quick moves. Like, it's not like I can turn my shoulder and be like, yeah. Eli, what do you think? Eli, right. what do you think? Eli, what do you think? Rather, I just like kind of be like, trust my best instincts at the moment and be like, all right, I'm going to send him a bounce tonight. And like all these same questions will be answered in like two seconds. It's better to just go work quick. And we are not quick workers. We're getting better at it, but like it's so much better to work quick. Yeah. Do you feel like your direction and focus for this project has shifted over time? Like you've always treated it, obviously talking to you, it seems like you've always treated this very seriously. Do you feel like your direction and focus have shifted over time in terms of what the style and the lane and trajectory of this project is going to be? I think definitely. And I think every project kind of always shifts. Yeah. Like even if you look at the top, you know, Calvin Harris, like everything, you know, obviously he has like a, a specific lane but the thing is like he's he he will release things that are completely you know doesn't sound like him but it is him and it's cool or like even chain smokers like you know their their pro progress their direction over like the last four or five years um you know every everyone's always changing and i think for us we're like figuring it out as everyone figuring out as we go like where the priorities what like what type of sound yeah. and you know going with trends but almost like going with what you like to listen yeah. to i mean that's what i was yeah. gonna say I, I think that was a big turning point that happened a few years ago probably like four years yeah You're probably, like that yeah yeah but like the first few years of producing was and this was not you know i think this was for a lot of people just based on the landscape of of dance music where like we felt that genre restriction like very important so we were making progressive house music you need okay we need to start our song with a 16 or 32 bar boring intro yeah yeah we need to you know have two drops and then finish it with a 16 or 32 bar boring outro it needs to be 128 bpm it yeah you know, all these like things and, that... and then i think there was a big shift with us but just with music in a good way yeah. where it was just like okay like no one cares. Like you don't, obviously there's going to be the annoying people that are like, Oh, I miss the old style, but you're going to evolve. You're going to, yeah, you're not going to make progressive house for 20 years. Yeah, like, right. It's just going to, yeah. it's going to get boring. So, so boring. So I think we realization of like, yeah. you know what? Like, let's just like, okay, Matt, grab your guitar, like play, play something. Doesn't then the don't, BPM. don't think, then let me tap and I'll figure out the BPM. Oh, it's 90 thing. Let's do it. And yeah, like, cause, yeah. cause what you just played was nice. So yeah. let's keep it like you just played it. And then I think, I think that was cool to kind of see the evolution where even though tempo is so different and the genre you classified is so different, like if you could still kind of have some of those underlying elements that, that are a little consistent, you know, that's cool to see where people can say like, this definitely sounds like a two friends song. And it's like, okay, wow, that's cool because this one was, you know, 100 BPM. This one was 128, but but they noticed the things in, in the songwriting and some of the, the acoustic guitar and live instruments that we include and just some of the overall feeling of yeah, it um, where it's just like, yeah, there's ways to kind of create a style without right. needing to like box it. I think that's that was the most tangible change for yeah. us, but that was a while ago. That was like four years. 
I think even like the last few months, like the songs we're writing, like obviously they're not released or anything, but like, you know, you're constantly going in, uh, you're going in a different direction, songwriting wise or production wise or whatever, like whatever's kind of hitting yeah. in, in that moment or like catching your ear, you know, that could obviously make a way into your music or lyrically, whatever go, is going on in you or someone you know's lives or whatever. So I think it's your, it's an, it's a constant map that like is getting drawn. Would you say that you try your best to incorporate influences that are popular right now and then take that to yourself and feel, I don't know, try to incorporate what inspires you about what's popular right now so that you can create something that fits in the current space rather than just holding on to something like a 10 year old progressive house style. I wouldn't say we consciously do it, yeah. but like, for example, if like a hook we wrote and we're like, how do we emphasize this hook right here? And it's like, oh, what about like that song has this type of instrumentation and it would be cool to use something similarly emphasizes the vocal or like hits you in the face really hard. And I think, well, I, th I think kind of, you know, to, to, to bring this back to sort of younger producers that are, that are learning and growing. I think it's important to also realize a lot of the influences and references that we listen to and a lot of producers, like it doesn't just need to be other producers that are in a similar lane as you. It's probably boxing you in a little of like, you know, we could listen to a country song or an alt rock song or a rap song. It's and it's like, you know, there's so many things you could pick up on that kind of keep your, keep your listening, uh, absolute spectrum very broad. I think it, like that is extremely clear on like, if you're making music, that's at all in the dance realm. Like if you're just listening to dance music, you're going to get, you are not going to get the best of the best. Yeah. So it's important to like, kind of spread your wings. There's a lot of Spotify playlists. Like nowadays, like the songs we're referencing, like on the production side, you can even get cool things from some of the stuff. But like we're listening to in sessions, like a lot of country, just for the songwriting side of things. A lot of, uh, you know, a lot of like indie pop, some of that stuff. A lot of dance music in terms of like the production side, of course. Um, basically all over the place. And then you, you don't have to think about it so hard. You'll be like, yo, I really like this part from this. And Maybe I think, yeah, you got you to gotta trust yourself and like, that's part of being doing music for a, for a living is like you got to get to a point where you trust yourself to, to know that if you think something is really good, hopefully that means that that you have a good pulse on what the you know, your your audience, your fans and the general people are, are going to like. Yeah. Also. And then there's also like there's there's definitely a difference of that and like just loving something because you haven't made enough things yet. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that's important, like as a new producer, like you want to always feel the excitement. You do not to want to compare yourself to like the top producer and because it's production wise, definitely it's not going to sound like that. So it's good to reference and like constantly go towards there. But if a finished song isn't quite there, then that's okay because the next one will be a little closer. And like, honestly, if you're in that 75 percentile of production to and like let's say the top dudes at 100 most fans don't care yeah. so it's like you can still release it you know what i mean so i think it's um it's important to constantly enjoy what you're making because if you're if you like don't enjoy comparing it to someone then you're not going to make very the next battle yeah you're, you're not going to start the next song the, at the same time 
I remember vividly like loving the songs we were making in our first month. And I don't know how, because <laughs> I listened back and they're definitely not good. But I guess it's a blessing that I did think they were yeah. good. I don't think we ever put most of them out and so said, but like, I think that is what made me get onto the yeah. next song. Well, I think, yeah, there's kind of two, two trains of thought for that. It's like, and neither one is necessarily right or wrong. The one that we kind of did was like, you know, like, yes, you want, you want to put your best effort into things and get them to where you think they're reached their full potential. We weren't like the most, most precious where, you know, we wanted to release stuff. Yeah. The first year we got out of college, that was our goal. But, you know, and then the other kind of school of thought is like, all right, don't release anything at all until you're very polished and then like the gates with a strong impression. And that, you know, that definitely, there have been some producers where that's the case of like, right away their first couple of releases yeah, are like wow that's usually a new artist project yes exactly yeah. so like we don't want to tell everyone like yes you release everything you do even if it's you know even if it's not great but i think yeah that's that's a mental game you have to play with yourself of like 99 percent. are you ever going to get to 100 probably not and you could hold on to that project file for a full year just or, or get help like yeah. you know if you have a friend or or you know a mix engineer that's affordable like honestly some of that stuff has been sometimes there's drama, but like sometimes that is the best feeling of like having someone you trust and being like, you know what? You are saving me from hating this yeah. song because I don't have to listen to it anymore and you will take it that extra 5%. I would say in the beginning, don't do that because it's good to go through the grinder and like, you know, figure out how to keep your mental uh, strength. But eventually I do think it's like, you know, um, as you're doing consistent releases, it's not the it's not the worst thing ever yeah. to uh, do that because a might end up better, probably will, um, and then b you can move on to the next song and you will enjoy the song that you're releasing yeah. because you didn't have to listen to it a thousand times. So on the more commercial side of things, you two do extremely well in terms of streams on Spotify and SoundCloud. Obviously, it's a very complex process to be able to grow your project as much as it has but what do you feel like has helped you get to the point where you're able to get the amount of streams that you're getting on these sites i mean i think it's again it's a long grind of like a slow gradual thing where the goal is each song make a little better than the next and make your promotion around it a little stronger or sorry not better it's better than the last (laughs) the opposite make make each song a little better than the last and you know try on the promotion side of it, you know, make it a little stronger than the last. And the goal is, you know, you just have a, a, a steady, even if it's slow, just as long as it's steady. Yeah. Growth. But you know, it's you not going to be like in terms of streams, like it's not necessarily going to be like the song can be better. And I don't think necessarily the streams will always add up. Um, so it's, it's also just like, you know, trying your best and forgetting the rest and then the other thing to keep in mind is like where the music right now is in a little bit of a weird place with with streaming where like it it can often feel like yeah. if you if your song on spotify doesn't like you know get in all these playlists and doesn't blow up then it feels like it was a failure but like that is so not the case and i think a lot of people kind of over the importance of of spotify like don't you know don't disregard it and like don't ignore it but there's so many other things and facets like and again it goes back to like the entrepreneur like you know you can there are so many artists that 
are booked every weekend and doing a hundred shows a year. And like, if you check their Spotify, it's like, you know, fine. And then the opposite is true too. You could have a song with a hundred million streams, but if the other parts of your, you know, your brand and your, just the whole, the whole picture isn't there, then it's like, what does that really mean? Right. You know, you're not, I think it it kind of comes down to like, a stream from an actual fan of you guys is like much more important than 10 streams from like random people that are never going to be into your music. One is just a number and one is a person that can come to multiple shows. And I think that we've seen that like our songs on Spotify, like some get playlist support and some don't. And that does not um, correlate with what songs are sung at shows. You know, so it, it's well because that yeah, yeah, that's like the the world of of the streaming services is like it can feel kind of all or nothing. It's like okay, they they put you in, the, and we've seen it. Like we had a song where in the good vibes mood playlist, and they kept it in there for like a year. Yeah, and you know that gets you ten million plays. And if whoever was curating that playlist at the time, if they were sick that day, and their backup person didn't put it in, that's just like the tiniest tiniest decision right. and that yeah. has such a big like effect where you think like right. oh wow like 10 million plays um and then you know yeah like, kind of what matt said like you could there just could be a song where it doesn't really fit into the playlist and they don't you know all the plays okay. are kind of organic from your own fans or people specifically searching rather than it being right. shoved into their face and like but you know I, that's almost that's one of those things where again it's like if you have that then things <laughs> can get better and i think that was something that we actually, our manager showed us like a, uh, in the early days of Spotify, like some of the, the artists insight, like graphs. And it was, I remember a meeting where they were like, you know, yes, we want to improve the streaming, but this is a good position to be in where the percentage of organic, uh, whatever you call it, like finding our music organically was very strong and we weren't getting the, the, uh, the playlist support. So then it's almost like you can only go up once you do get that playlist support then you know probably gonna help so again it kind of goes back to like the catching your lucky break like do everything you can to to build that foundation so that when you do get those lucky breaks or whatever they are like you are ready you yes you you were waiting for this you have everything in place boom step on the gas and let's let's now and that foundation is basically things you can control which is the music yes. the band, the team the team uh just things you can control right. because and things that will attract or that you really like and you think fits a potential fan base or whatever to attract fans. Um, or if there already is an existing fan base, how to uh, make them happy. So like, I think it, that's where you can focus 90% of your energy. You can and then- control the things you can control and the other stuff will eventually fall into yeah. place. Yeah. Given how long that you hustled for yourself, how important for it, how important for you two has it been to build a proper team around you in order to grow your career at more of an accelerated rate? That's a question that I think a lot of like younger producers are, like, oh my God, how do I find a manager? And I'll put it this way. We've had like our first manager was so bad. Yeah, to put this into context, this was back when we mentioned we were doing some hip hop beats. And I mentioned that we actually sent like a mass email on BCC with like, yo, we made this beat for you. And it turned out that like three of the artists in that BCC were managed by the same person. And so she actually, she wasn't mad. She wrote back and she's like, you know, rather than 
like, I like this beat rather than you email my artist. Why don't you just like join our management company? We'll manage you. And then you'll be like in house. And like, we were 17 years old in high school and we were like, mama, we made it. Like <laughs> we got a manager. Life is good. And then I think, yeah, that was a great learning experience for us to realize like, you know, we, we don't want to just give away like control of certain things. We want to feel well, like it's almost like, would you rather a, follow up on an email 20 times that never gets answered or B do something about it yourself. That you could have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's like, so then, and so then we, we did that for a year and then it was like kind of mutually agreed. Don't renew this for the next year. It was over a year, whatever I mean, it was. It was, and it was so then, the then there was about a two or three year period where we had no management. This, so this was like during the first few years of college, we purposely, you know, got rid of that management. We we're doing everything ourselves. And, we had the luxury of, of going through that experience to know that, okay, the next time we have a, an offer or meeting with management, like they need to impress us and it needs to be, you know, we're not just doing it to do it. So we took a lot of phone calls where yeah. like, we're like, you know, and the funny thing is, yeah, no, we didn't have any management um, inquiries until like the month that they all came. Right. And, but then it was still in that month. It's like, all right, yeah. you know, let, you know, tell us what, what, how this is going to work and what your vision is and how you're helping. And so I think, you know, this is obviously easier said than done, but to what Matt was saying, a lot of younger producers are saying, are questioning, how do I get a management? Like in the long run, it's worth it when the managers do rather than you go to them. Yeah. And that's kind of true for a lot of facets we've seen of like, you know, doing shows. It's like when there's demand for shows, that's so much better than yeah, when you're like begging people to do them. Right. And I know that's hard because sometimes it's just the demand is not coming and you need to make money and it's, you know, you got to hustle. But, you know, if you focus again on the things you can control, focus on the music, focus on everything, then when they want you, it's like, okay, that shows that they are going to care rather than if you're just like, please manage me, then it's like, you know, you don't want them to do it as a favor because that's just not going to. I think, and there's different types of managers. Like some guys are good at like, ground floor like getting things done but like eli and i get at the ground floor because we manage ourselves so like for us what what you know our managers are most helpful is on the big level connects on the and then also on like now at this point you know it's stuff like logistically they they you know they can help uh make our lives easier and then like bigger plans like we just announced uh our biggest tour by far like that kind of stuff we're like obviously very involved but like we aren't the pilot there. So, um, yeah. But the thing is, like, when we were starting off, we absolutely did not need that. And it was, yeah, it was almost like, you know, it's like no offense to them, but when they said, like, so, hey, guys, I want to manage you, and I could, you know, help you guys with your social media, and I could help you guys, like, I could help you guys with, like, Hype Machine. It's like, okay, you know, like, but, but we can too. Yeah, so, we know how to do that. you're not, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe you're saving us 10 minutes a day. But, right. but but that's we, not like yeah, that's something that we don't possess. It. So then I think our current managers, that was a big thing, was like, okay, wow, like they now are they are giving us opportunities and relationships and things where like we we just can't do. It's not that we don't have time. It's it's like we just you know it. This is yeah. now adding real value. Yeah, um, add value. But like yeah, time is a thing. Like you you want to spend your time well. I guess look at look at yourself. Look how much time you have. Look what you're focusing on and see where uh, the holes are. And that's like where a manager can really help. But I, again, like how we started this conversation, it's super important to manage yourself in the beginning and learn how it works because 
Yeah. If you are just waiting, and this happens so much, if you're just waiting to be plucked and like taken care of, it's never. It ha- I mean, it happens once out of no, a thousand, ten thousand times. Even the people that it does happen to, it if it actually is a successful relationship, it's probably because they're making a lot of music and it is really good. Something like that. Not that your music's not good. Like we we went through the exact same thing. It just takes a long time yeah. to find. To have someone that cares about it almost as much as you. Which I think is a crucial part too, finding somebody that believes in your project because Completely. no one's going to work for you as hard as yourself, but you need yes. to find somebody that's really close that is going to be a partner in it. Because totally. if they don't vibe with you, if they don't have that same direction and focus, they're not going to work well. I mean, you guys you are just going to fight. You're going to hold resentment. I mean, I think even if you're a solo DJ, that's even more important uh, because yeah. someone to lean on. Uh but yeah, I mean, you need someone that is has that same entrepreneurial like goal, you know, like, ooh, I want to be managing you when you are Tiesto's level and we're going to do it together type thing. You know what I mean? So basically, if you're young, like getting into this and like a friend is serious about it, like someone that's smart, like I, I don't think that's the worst thing. Ever. You know, so if it, if he's clearly like knuckleheading and like not serious about it, sure, that's not a good fit. But like, I know so many people that their manager is like their best friend, and now the manager is a real manager. Or like, their manager was a friend of a friend, but he had no other clients. Or like, he had one client, and he was just getting his feet wet. I think it's you know, there's something about growing with people. I think um, Chance the Rapper's manager was like that. And there's a really good kind of mini documentary on YouTube about that, where he was just like a fan that went to all of his shows with him. And then essentially was like, whatever I can do for your project, let me do it. And now he's, you know, managing a Grammy nominated recording artist. And he came to him as a friend, said, hey, I don't really know anything about managing, but I will do anything that I can to make this project work. And, you know, that was what was perfect for Chance at that time exactly and i think that that the funny thing is like eli and i that's like not the case for us but i think it's because we had each other so that's why our situation worked out differently um but on a more broad level and this not only applies to this question i think a lot of the questions we've been discussing is like one thing that's super important is there are no rules there really are zero rules yeah you know if you had 20 years ago, I think it's probably a little more structured of like how the music business works where like you need a label to kind of help you grow and money and blah, blah, blah. But like it's, it's, it's almost fun and cool to, if you have an idea for like an interesting way to promote a song, just do it. And if you have a, you know, like there's nothing stopping you. If you're complaining about why doesn't blah, blah, do this and why can't blah, like just do it, just figure something yeah. out and it, you know, there's no like guidebook of in order to get a song on radio, you need to like yeah. do what the, you know, it's. Yeah. And so I think, again, it still goes back to the entrepreneurial thing of like, just, you know, if there's something that you're complaining about and no one's the magic savior is not coming to fix it, like figure it out on how you, there's got to be a way. Or change that, you your know. mindset because then like, you know, as soon as you change your mindset that this isn't someone else's thing, it's it's me and it's worth my time doing and stuff, then, I mean, you know, ideally it is helping, like helpful having someone in it with you. But, you know, for our case, like Eli and I would be like, oh, we have a funny idea. Like we're not going to go hit someone else to like go make this idea happen. We're just going to make <laughs> yeah. it happen. You know what I mean? So it's a lot easier to get things done when 
when you have that mindset rather than being like waiting for Prince Charming to come. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's crucial though. Like no one, yeah, no one's going to go into my studio and finish my mix down for me. No one is going to email all the blogs. No yep. one is going to pre-pitch and pre-save on Spotify. It's up to me. And if you don't have that mentality 100%. going into this, it's a hundred percent. It's going to be tough for you to do anything in this industry. I mean, and it's, it's yeah, and it's also, and and, yeah. you, and you know, you could spin it to be more positive of like rather than no one's doing this, so I have to. It's like I want to help my own career. Like I'm gonna do this, and I could see the payoff. So cool, like. I'm down to, to grow and to, to help myself out. So given everything we've talked about so far, what do you feel like is the most challenging thing that you deal with as an artist project right now? So I think if you asked every year, that would always change. But right now, I think time is a big one. Of like the goal is we want to be touring a lot. So that's good when that happens, but then, you know, it cuts our week short. So some, you know, there's a lot of weeks where we'll have two or three days only in the studio and we really want to make progress. But again, going back to like, you know, it's tough. We want to make big, big moves rather than the small things, but yeah. you also need to do those small things so that the song can get ready. So it's like, you know, it's just managing your time. So having a real life, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. like basically if your music, is, if music is literally your life, seven days a week, I think you can get tired of it very quick. So like on Sundays, home, we try to chill hard, you know, this Sunday we're gone, but like today is my example. Like after this, I'm going to chill. Um, but yeah, so like, I think, uh, time is a good answer. Like it's, you gotta manage your time and, and we're like learning about that all the time. Like I, you know, sometimes I will, I recently I put on my phone like the uh, time limits or whatever. Yeah. And like it's pretty sad how fast they get sucked up. Like it's right away. It's by 11 a.m. my hour of social media is done. Oof. And like to bear, it's not all scrolling. It's pretty much doing like two friends stuff. But then what shows me is when I'm producing, like if I'm producing and I'm in the zone, I won't check my phone as much. But then if like I'm on a tough part, it's almost like relaxing. A, you know, I'm like, oh my God, I'm too stressed, like trying to figure that out this build up. Yeah. Okay, let's go to Twitter. Oh, it says you have time limit. This is embarrassing. I picked up my phone eight times in the last five minutes. Yeah. So it's like, you know, controlling your time, like whether it's putting your phone on airplane mode and putting it upstairs, like whatever you got to do is important. Getting a team to like do that, like take a walk in the morning, work out or get your coffee, whatever. It's, it's important to think about your time but also live in it because if you are like tweaking a snare and then you're like, I only have like 12 hours the rest of this week to work on stuff, yeah. then you're never going to finish tweaking that snare. So it's important to just almost, I guess, don't overthink, just relax. So to close things out, I would love for you to talk about some of the tools and plugins that are core to your workflow in the studio. I would definitely say Serum, mm -hmm. big one for us. Silent, Silent. I don't even know how to say it still. Um, what else do I use? I use, I'll just start rattling instrument plugins. Definitely a little, a little bit of Nexus. Uh, Element by Waves, I actually really like for like cool bass. Minigram is like a piano uh, Pro Tools plugin yeah. we use a lot. Um, I'm probably going to miss out on a lot, but. You know, instrument plugins, it's important to have a nice variety, but not going too crazy. Um, you know, some specialty ones for like specific, you know, sampler type sounds are good. 
Um, but then I would say for like effects and stuff, I think that's almost, almost even, you know, more important to shape your sound because everyone's using serum. I would say guitar rig is so sick. I've recently been getting more and more into it. Like it basically saves you an hour or two of like guitar editing and it'll be better. Like it's oh, so good. Yeah. Like I used to, and I still do like do all these crazy busing and stuff. And then I literally put no EQs, no nothing. And I put a guitar with guitar rig and it sounds better. And it's like, damn, that's sick. Um, yeah, I would say compressors. I mean, so I, we have uh, a lot of UAD stuff, which is nice, except when I'm not at our interface because that's always stressful. I can't use any of the UAD plugins. Mm-hmm. So, but I use a lot of that for like vocal editing, a lot of um, the classics, you know, compressors like the LA two A, uh, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of mm-hmm. like just the classic stuff, Pultec EQs and stuff. But then for like m- most normal production, I'm not really touching a lot yeah. of that crazy stuff. Like uh, some of my favorite compressors, I would say, you know, we use the glue a lot, uh, a lot of fab filter stuff, you know. Q2, Q3, MB, all that stuff. Got to gotta OTT it once in a while. Um, yeah. Sidechain, Pro Tools is super weird, but uh, we have a bunch, you know, pretty much all of them. Nicky Romero, uh, recently be getting more into Volume Shaper, uh, LFO Tool, Vengeance, Sidechain, Multiband. So pretty much all, all of them, and I use them for specific things that certain ones are better. Like if you want a classic sidechain pumping, the Nicky Romero is hard to beat. Um, what else do I yeah. use? I mean, honestly, using a lot of stock plugins that come is like the best thing ever because, because there's so much nicer on your CPU. You know them really well because you have been working with them since you started and they're like simpler a lot of times, which is good. Mm-hmm. Don't overcomplicate things. Um, I'm trying to think what are some of my absolute, like I would, if I had a project file open, it'd be so much easier to see, but Valhalla for sure. For reverb, love Valhalla room. Mostly ah, the best, really good delay. I would say my go-to delay, depending on what I'm trying to do, but just for like easy controllable is H delay by waves. Very quality does its thing. Trying Mm -hmm. to go through like my buses, uh, distortion. I'll use, a lot of stuff. Sometimes just like stock isotope trash, camel crusher, uh, decapitator sick. Definitely use a lot of sound toy stuff. So to wrap things up, talk about what's coming up for y'all in the next zero to six months. Zero to six months, a lot of exciting stuff. So I guess the biggest thing we just did was announce our, our new uh, 2020 tour, biggest tour we've ever done, our first bus tour. So it's actually us in Matoma. Um, doing a co-headline bus tour and it starts uh, end or middle-ish, yeah, middle of January. Um, and it goes for seven-ish weeks. Um, and so, yeah, we'll be all over the U.S. and a couple in Canada. Um, and yeah, super, super yeah. excited for that. Um, definitely couple, like yeah. Bi- lot, yeah. biggest venues that we've been in in these cities, some new cities completely. Um, so we'll, you know, excited. A lot of places we've never been for yeah. sure. Um, we just released Big Booty Mix 16, which is like our mix series, which is super fun. Uh, that was yesterday, but it'll probably be more than yesterday yeah. by the time this is out. We, uh, got, we got a couple singles coming up, which we're super stoked yeah. about. Um, 
more and more will come. It's writing all the time now. So like, yeah, it's one of those things where I'm sure a lot of producers can relate of like writing a lot of stuff that excites us, but it's also kind of funny knowing that like it doesn't the fans probably, yeah, fans are not going to hear it. I mean, we have songs that will come out that are like easily three years old. But know? at the same time, yeah, we're definitely working on a lot of exciting stuff. So even if they can't hear it, we, we like it. <laughs> um, Selfish. No. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I think, you know, we're just going to keep, keep grinding and do, more of more of everything and hopefully you know keep improving and keep doing it bigger and better yeah all right well with that we'll wrap things up for this episode you can find two friends music in the description of this episode so definitely go give that a listen as this podcast is just about over matt and eli it's been great chatting with you and appreciate you being on the show thank you thank you so much great time and no doubt we'll see uh see you soon